0: Let's look to the scriptures this morning. We're in the roll call of faith uh, in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Today we have one verse and we deal principally with one person. Verse 20. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And then Isaac is our Immediate focus, but who is the one to whom we look ultimately? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We don't think a whole lot about Isaac, and there's a good reason for that. First of all, his father Abraham dominates. The Old Testament, he's the father of the faith. He's the one to whom God appeared repeatedly and in all sorts of promises and events and covenant uh, ceremonies and all sorts of ways the Lord worked with Abraham. He was a prophet. He was the one that received the promise from God. He was the one that went through all sorts of things and there's drama and there's story and there's chapter after chapter on Abraham. And then finally the son of promise is born. Isaac, and we'll look at him a little bit, but then Isaac has twin sons, Esau and Jacob, and the great focus, the great drama then takes off again with these two boys, especially the character of Esau and what happened with Esau, and Jacob and his family and his dealings with the Lord deals with him with visions and dreams and wrestlings with angels and all sorts of things and then we go all the way to the end of the book of Genesis finally finishing with Jacob's sons all there in Egypt and the dominant son of course being Joseph and in that great lineup of the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac Jacob and Joseph there's Isaac, and he is the least. I remember when I was in seminary, having a professor go on a rant one day about how weak and pathetic a character Isaac was. That he was the weakest of all the patriarchs, and he even disputed that some people sometimes would say that he was a type of Christ. And he said he was such a weak character, he wasn't a type of Christ. He couldn't possibly be. And, and the professor went on and on. And I, you know, said, so What's the problem? Why is he upset about Isaac? And then as I began to study a little bit, I saw that Isaac was, in many ways, kind of a, a, a character that, that sort of recedes and is overshadowed by his incredible father Abraham and by his incredible son Jacob. But let me tell you something about Isaac. He's mentioned in the roll call of faith, not just because he's the lineage, but he's mentioned in the roll call of faith for a couple of reasons. Number one is Isaac was the seed of the promise. He was the son, the only son is what the Lord called him. Now Abraham had another boy, Ishmael, a fine young man, older, and much more capable in a lot of ways. And he also fathered six sons by another woman, a concubine. Abraham didn't have any problem having sons. But the Lord ignored all of them in the providence of sovereignty and said, Isaac is your son, your only son. And it was in Isaac, in the birth of Isaac, the miraculous birth from a barren womb came Isaac. And even the name, of course, as you know, means laughter because both Abraham and Sarah on different occasions in different ways laughed when they were given the promise that they would have a son. And when Isaac was born, he lived a life that was kind of interesting too. It was, a, it was a quiet kind of a passive life. His father had traveled all over the Mideast and gone all the way from, from um, the, the Gulf all the way up the Euphrates River all the way across the Fertile Crescent down into Egypt back again. Isaac stayed within a fairly short geographic parameter. Not only that, Isaac just basically inherited the wealth that his father had and just passively and productively, but nevertheless quietly, developed that wealth. And Isaac got pushed around a lot. There were the enemies of the family and the tribe that would take over a well that he had dug and would occupy a place. And there were times when, when it didn't look like Isaac had much. But the Bible said the Lord blessed him, and he's very, very wealthy. And he was the carrier, the conduit. The conveyor of the promise and it's not lost on some expositors that Isaac was the son who was completely obedient and a subservient to his father and his mother even when it came time for him to find a wife he didn't do as his father did and found the women of the land attractive but instead he went all the way back to the homeland to get Rebecca and one of the sweetest stories anywhere in the Bible is the story of Isaac and Rebecca their love of how the Lord providentially brought them together and how it was love at first sight and they were devoted to one another and they were together all through their lifetime in their work and holding the faith. Isaac was the only patriotic, a, a, a patriarch that was monogamous and didn't have adulterous affairs or concubines. He and Rebekah were married one man, one woman for one lifetime. But they had these Issues. Rebecca, like Sarah, and later on, like Rachel, of all the patriarchal wives of the promise, were barren. Just a foreshadowing of the virgin womb. And after their honeymoon, which is described in one verse in the scriptures, no children. Twenty years, Isaac and Rebecca. Had no children it's interesting little verse in the Bible the Bible says that God that that Isaac prayed that the Lord would open the womb of Rebekah and that she would have children and he said and the Lord answered his prayer what the scripture doesn't say at that point is he was praying at age 40 and at age 60 is when when Esau and Jacob were born 20 years praying and calling upon the Lord. Even the day he first laid his eyes on Rebekah, he was in the field meditating, which is another one of the words for praying, contemplating. Isaac didn't do these incredible things that we see in the life of Abraham and then later Jacob, but he did one thing, and that's why he's commended. He held on to the blessing he clung to the promises that God had given Abraham. The Lord did not appear to Isaac dramatically and speak to him as dramatic or as often as he did to either Abraham or Jacob. But yet Isaac continued to believe in the promise of the offspring The Abrahamic promise that God had given, the covenant that God had made, and the oath with which God had sworn to Abraham that he would deliver it. Isaac received it, believed it, counted on it, lived his life in view of it. And that's why the text commends him, not for all the things he did in his life or all the great dramatic events of faith like we see in Abraham. But it says here that Isaac by faith invoked future blessings. Future blessings. Now it's printed for your uh, observation in our bulletin but the dramatic story that's found in the Old Testament of the blessing that the Lord gave to Isaac to give to Jacob and Esau is recorded in chapter 27 of Genesis. We don't have time to read the narrative, but it is an incredible, dramatic story. And I think most of you are familiar with it. Isaac had one thing that was a stumbling block to him. And we don't really understand how sad it was until we get to kind of the end of the story looking back. But Isaac loved what the Lord hated. The Bible tells us that Isaac and Rebekah developed favorites among their two twin sons. Rebekah loved and favored Jacob. But Isaac loved and favored Esau. And Paul tells us in the sovereign plan of God that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. I wish we had time to expand on that a little bit, but let's just let it hang there for a while. God loved Jacob. And the dramatic story of the deception whereby in his old age when he began to become hard of hearing and almost blind and had uh, given in to his love of food and his physical appetites and when Isaac had finally gotten to that place where the evil days had come and he had become dull in so many ways. His wife... His wonderful wife, of all those years, engineered a deception whereby Jacob, who was the second-born, would receive the blessing of the firstborn. Now I know you're familiar with the blessing of the firstborn in the scriptures. It goes to the firstborn son. The first-born son has several things going for him. One is, he has the position of honor and status. He's the leader in the family. He's the protector in the family. In fact, he's the sovereign of the family. He has the right of succession. That is, if there's any crown or title or anything in the family, he's passed on to the firstborn son. With respect to the inheritance, he gets a double portion. And interestingly enough, if there's two sons, the firstborn son gets it all. And in this family, there was something tied to the birthright. And it was the covenant promise. It was part of the birthright. You remember, the Lord had told Abraham, I am your reward. And all Abraham had to give. Oh, he had cattle, and he had all kinds of servants. And Abraham was an extremely, extremely wealthy sheik of the ancient world. But what he really had to give was that promise. And that promise was the sheer, mere faith that he had in the sheer, mere Word of God. God had promised him all about being a blessing and having an offspring that would be the blessing of the whole humanity. And of course we know from Galatians 3 that the Lord was speaking of Jesus Christ as the offspring, the firstborn, the true seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. So what Abraham had to give to Isaac was Jesus Christ, the promise. And that's really what Isaac had to give to his two boys. Oh, he had plenty of land, and, I mean, not land, but cattle and things like that. No land. They never owned one square foot of real estate in Palestine except for a burial ground which had a nice cave in it that Abraham had bought and paid way, way too much for. They didn't own any other acreage in the promised land. But they had the promise. And the promise is the key. All Isaac had to give was the promise. Now if we had time, we'd talk about a little bit about Esau, how unworthy he was in so many ways. And there's a lot of things about Esau's character that we need to be aware of as to how he operated his life. And even though he was the firstborn son, the Bible says he despised the birthright. He didn't care about it. Wasn't no big deal to him. All he was was a bunch of sheep you got to take care of. Well, he was a hunter, he would go out into the land and just get what he wanted. All through the Bible, you notice the hunters are the people that God looks upon as being less than the best because they're not civilizers. Nimrod, a hunter. Ishmael, a hunter. But not Cain and Abel, they till the soil and tended the flocks. They were fruitful and they multiplied. And they, they, they bred their animals and they planted their seed. But a hunter just simply takes the abundance that God has given and lives off of it. And that's really all that Esau's going to get. He's going to receive a blessing that involves the common grace of God. He's going to get Whatever's out there, whatever he can hunt down, whatever he can collect, whatever he could get for himself is going to be his. He's going to have to live by weaponry. He's going to have to have the bow and the arrow. He's going to have to have the sword. He's going to have to do everything he can to, to, to conquer and to destroy and to capture. Jacob, on the other hand, the Bible says, was a man of refinement, a thoughtful man. He thought over and over and over about the blessing. And the difference between Esau and Jacob was that Jacob wanted the blessing. He wanted Christ. And listen to that blessing as, he, as Isaac comes to bless Jacob, who is standing there, the absolute epitome of sin and deception wearing his brother's clothes, perfumed like his brother, wearing skins, doing everything he can to lie to his father. And yet the sovereign grace of God says this through the words of Isaac. See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. There's your bread and wine of the sacrament, by the way. Verse 29, let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. What kind of language is that? That's the language of a future coming conquering king. The king of kings and the Lord of the lords. That's the one who will come and will set everything right and will establish an eternal kingdom. And then here's the curse. Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. We're not talking about Jacob anymore. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ and his victorious work in his life and on the cross and out of that tomb and ascended into heaven in the right hand of God and the triumphal and victorious return to earth. That's what Isaac did. In all of the frailty and all of the sins and all of the, the, uh, the sadness of the human condition, Isaac blessed Jacob. He blessed Esau with common grace. The grace of God. The rain that falls on the just and the unjust the goodness of God over all of his creatures. But he blessed Jacob with, oh, I'm out of time, let me just say it, with Christ.